P.S. I Love Hoffman is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Kyle, excited today about doing the famous movie Infamous. The famous movie Infamous? Oh, Capote. Oh, is this our womp, womp, in cold blood open? Kind of. Well, okay, wow. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, but I, I, I thought we've discussed this before. Like, so Capote came out, and then that film Infamous came out. Ah, yes. The to- What's his name? Toby? Toby Keith, I believe. No. Isn't that someone? Toby. Toby Jones. Toby Jones. I always yeah. want to say Toby Smalls, and that's not like that's not, <laughs> that is not that is not meant to be a joke. But he just like feels like a, his name could be Toby Smalls. Yeah, no, and we'll definitely discuss that. But like, we've always discussed like how there are other this has happened before, where like two movies come out about the same thing. Yeah, you're always good at naming them, so rattle them off. Like an Armageddon, Deep Impact. Yes, that's one that I. A Bug's of. Life, Ants. Oh, okay, I was thinking of that. You know, uh, I was thinking uh, Deep Impact, Dante's Peak. Yes. No, 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 no. no. Volcano, Vol- Dante's Volcanoes feet. and Dante's Ah, yeah, fuck Dante. all them all. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Iggy Pop! Amen! Let him write! I'm a fucking idiot. Red meat, we crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Capote. Why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. Tommy, that's uh, okay, thing. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. I've spent the past three years running finish. <laughs> I'm always home. I'm on cool. This is a process of dehumanization. Shut, 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 shut up! Hey, Hoff fans. Welcome to this week's edition of the PSI Love Hoffman podcast, our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home. We're always uncool. And we're always ready to talk great movies. We got a great one. Yeah, Finally. I mean, is this is this the coup de gras? Like, is this? I mean, it is clearly to uh, well, the you know the yeah, academy. everything that the Academy Awards recognizes is the best, like Crash and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so this is basically the peak of our podcast. It, re- I mean, and it is the end of what we've dubbed his second act. His but... second act of his career, yes. yes, and to to usher in, well, to finish the second act and possibly usher in the third. We've brought one of our favorite uh, favorite guests, yes. favorite people on a, this earth. A solo act of his. We had him on with a, as a as a dual guest. Some people say he only acts well in groups, but I've seen his solo work and I've enjoyed that as well. So, uh, without further ado, John Harden, welcome, welcome back. It's great to be here once more. I was I was going. I hope it's to, great to be in your apartment. It's wonderful to be in my apartment always, <laughs> especially. Thank on you my for own having couch. us. Thank you for yeah. Thank absolutely. you for having us. We're we're not actually home today. We're on location no. at the, the Hardin Dojo. The Hard- I I am home enough for all of us. Yes. Um. Yeah. I was I was going to remark before we started recording that as simply a marker of the passage of time, it's interesting to be back doing this show because you have been now working on it for months and months yes. since the last time I was here. And, you know, the last time that I was a guest, it felt much more like a still newer thing. You had done a number of episodes, but it's interesting to think yeah, about Twister how was many. Yeah, Twister was like episode eight. I right, don't know. and to think of how many. I mean, how many have you done now? What episode is this? 30-something. Seven or something. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's kind of cool in and of itself. 
yeah. to think about well, what I've been up we're to. We're happy about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> and we yeah. hope you Hoff fans are happy about it. Yeah. So if you don't remember, as you alluded to, you were on the Twister episode. Yes. Um, I was a special guest with Mr. Witt Lamberger, my best friend. We, we, had... will, we, have, we will have him back for another. Oh, we'd like to, yes. Yes, we'd we'll like to. We'll see. <laughs> Pending <laughs> busy his busy man. schedule. Yes. Exactly. Um, um, and then I was back again also for the 15-minute Hamlet. Yes. yes. And you, you ushered in, well, not ushered, really, explained Shakespeare to our Shakespeare literate minds. Yeah, we have you on Shakespeare retainer. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, you are our official Shakespeare episode, expert. Pity that he never did another one on film. On film, but I'm sure he did a lot of stage ones, I've heard. Yes. Yes, we talked about that. Yes, we, 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 yes. Did, we did talk about that. Um, but it's always, it's always good to have you on because uh, you are an actor. It's true. I cannot deny it. <laughs> as much as much as family members might deny it. You, no, I'm joking. They all support you. They're supportive. They're supportive. We know that. I, I love that mother one. to death. Um, <laughs> I'll settle it with her, though. <laughs> no, no, no. But you are an actor, and you bring a nice acting perspective. And we thought you'd have you have you on for this one, because obviously, like you mentioned, he wins the Oscar for this, Kyle. Yes. Yes. I mean, we wanted to have you on. We also asked you at one point, what what film would you like to? And you, I mean, and so you did the joint one with Wit. You and Wit are both actors, and that was just a fun one. That was our first four person, you know, uh, episode or you know, two guest episode. But then you said yes, please to Capote, and I mean, this is again, people. If you don't know, this is the role that he won. Best actor for it is, I mean, you know, I, I totally understand if someone says it's their favorite role of his, if it's just whatever. I mean, it's just he just he delivers, and it's he's finally a household name after this. Yes, everyone knows his name after this, and you can tell just from like a lot of times, Kyle. I know we look up a lot of stuff to research, mm -hmm. and we can hardly find like even a line or like an interview or even like a press junket about the films. We do for his some of them, right? Yeah. I mean, what last week's strange with candy? We couldn't even find the film. <laughs> I couldn't find a decent enough resolution picture <laughs> that we could post like along with the film. I had yeah. to do like a you know a pick grab from like the tr the trailer they had on. Exactly. <laughs> and after this, everything changes. Hence, why we move into a new act, at least podcast wise, with the films after this. However, it's also there's so much material here. Oh. So much. He. This is the first time I've ever seen him do like Tonight Show and uh, like all the morning shows and yes. Charlie Rose and. And I said to you that this I watched all the special. You know, they had like three different kind of like makings of on it, like a three part making of, and then this was the first one that I listened to the commentary. I listened to a commentary for Boogie Nights just because I love P.T. Anderson, but obviously P. T., uh, obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't talking on that commentary because Scotty J is a big role in it. But this one, it was director Bennett Miller and him talking, and it was just, uh, you know, I mean, it's not like I, I learned too much more from it, but just hearing them go through the production and just, like, fun little stories, like, that they've shot up in, like, Winnipeg. Uh, yeah, and that's that's something we're realizing now. I mean, it's something we've always talked about, but something's like DVDs are kind of a lost thing in yeah. terms of the extra content. It's great to that like at my fingertips, I could watch any movie, whether it well, except for Strangers of Candy, but <laughs> any movie that I, I rent or it's on Netflix or something. But you don't get that extra content a DVD had. Mm -hmm. So it just this is something we have a lot of scholarship for, yeah. and we hope we do a good job of kind of breaking it down. 
So, John, why did you choose to be on Capote? We know why we wanted you. Yeah. You know, sexiness. It, it is fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's always good to be acknowledged, especially in <laughs> he wears tight shirts well. radio program. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. Really giving the listeners a picture. Um, just imagine what am I wearing sexy. today? Uh, sexy, yeah. I. I think some of it was just my own snobbery. Um, I think I picked it because I knew it was the Oscar winner. I think I also picked it because it was a movie that I had seen um, that I could think of off the top of my head when we first had this conversation. Not that I haven't seen a number of Philip Seymour Hoffman movies, but I think it was sort of a little bit flip. But I will say, um, so to back up a second. I don't think that my reasons for initially picking this were all that great. I hadn't hadn't seen this movie in a long time. I first saw this movie when I was working at Blockbuster Video, which tells you how long ago it was. Exactly, yeah. Don't worry about it, is my answer. I was working at a Sam and Goody at the same time. Right, right. Sam and Goody? Yeah. That's that's Tower and Records. That's how... Tower and Records. Isn't there like an N Goody? No, just Sam. No, it's just same like Sam first name, like Sam Ash. I was working at a Radio Shack. There we go. (laughs) Nailed that one. Nailed that one. I admit it. Okay, it wasn't a Sam Goody. (laughs) They wouldn't hire me at Sam Goody. The nerve! Uh, I used to look longingly at that. S Y N E. Um. So so I first saw this movie, um, because when you worked at Blockbuster in those days, they used to give you five free rentals a week as one of your benefits. And so having nothing better to do that summer and frankly not enough shifts at Blockbuster even to keep me busy, I tried to rent as many movies as I could. And what I found was that that was very exhausting. But I did see a number of great films, including this one. Great. But this this film, I watched this film again last night for the first time in a very long time in order to make sure that I was ready and I have to say... Thank that, you for that. Well, of course. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yes. Jackass, I would have been. I've never watched this film. I still haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I did think about doing that. Only I've for seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. Funniness of it. But that joke only lasts about 30 seconds, and then I'd just be an asshole. That's yes, um, pretty much. But, um, no, no. What I wanted to say was, I have so many so many thoughts about this film that I'm, I'm eager to share. But, but one of them is that this was an example for me... You sometimes hear, I certainly have heard a number of times throughout my life from from adults. And for whatever reason, it's typically been older men that I've been talking to. But talking about reading, for example, Crime and Punishment, or mm-hmm. War and Peace, or some other novel that they say they read when they were 18 and enjoyed, right? Even liked, but then said, and now I've been reading it again and realized, oh my God, there's so much more going on. Sure, yeah. And this is one of those films that... Yeah, because and I feel the same way about Blade Runner. Not to distract, but I just saw that again recently. But films that deal a certain amount in subtlety and silence and um, emotional life to an eighteen-year-old, I just don't think that I really understood what the big deal was. No, you just have that much more life experience now. I mean, we all do clearly, but uh, that's just. I thought you were gonna go the other way with that. That like. You know how there's movies you enjoyed when you were younger and then you watch now? And you're like, this is crap. So not, I'm so glad you said that. Like, yeah, not at all. No, <laughs> I, I think the movie has some small problems, and, and I can't even necessarily put my finger on them. I mean, mm-hmm. one of them is just that... Well, I guess we'll get to that. That yeah. Some things just don't feel quite right and complete, but um, 
but it, on the whole, I found it really fascinating and and was really interested in a lot of what's going on and things that were unsaid and that really attracted my attention in a way that I just don't think I was able to focus as well at, eight, eight, at 18, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... Around what two two hours long, I believe the film. Maybe? Yeah, one fifty four. Under I that. believe. Yeah. One fifty four. Uh, yeah, I mean, so you know, I mean, so it's not long, but it has mm. a. I what I feel, for, a slow. You know, I'm giving the quotations to it. A slow film, a great pace to it. Um, scenes that are filled with dialogue, but still just like a scene after scene and then you have like scenes of dialogue and then you just have like just a, like a nice exterior and you get the idea of like oh they just went and checked out like the house of the murders took place at but it's just from this beautiful wide shot which i mean just again to a quick little technical thing watching they shot in what's called super 35 so it's 35 millimeter but it's just that a little bit wider and the dp just really added uh, that he wanted to do that because in his mind, shooting, like, the jail cells, because this is a film that it really comes down to a lot of, like, key locations, mm-hmm. and uh, and one of them being, like, the death row that these uh, the two criminals are on for uh, you know, m- many years, and they shot it a little wider because, in his mind, you know, everyone was just like, oh, that's going to... Why are you shooting it wider? You want it to be, like, claustrophobic sort of jail cell. He said, no, I want to shoot it wide because a little bit wider, you actually get to see the dimensions of the jail cell. You get to see this 9 by 6 or whatever, you know, size it is. And you get versus, like, if you shoot him in a corner... Like you're just you're not getting to see that other wall, but like when you watch those scenes, That's it really smart. does. Because like, like I mean, a lot of a big thing is this relationship that uh, Truman builds with the one uh, murderer Perry, and he's in the jail cell a lot, and it's just it, it just makes it this confined, yeah. intimate a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, so, I can understand that. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's just. It's a tremendous film that, you know. So, yeah, definitely. That's great. I definitely want to get into the relationship with Perry and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess, Kyle, this is your chance. Ooh, Tell us go. what this movie is about so we can just really dive into this one. This is not Academy Award winning material of a synopsis. but only. Neither is our podcast ever, but <laughs> we try our best. Uh, Capote is the story of famed author Truman Capote. Uh, he reads an article and learns about the horrific murder of a Kansas family. This inspires him to begin writing his next work, as he also forms a relationship with one of the killers, Perry Smith, while he is on death row. Fine, good, concise, Boom. fair. Do you approve, John? Absolutely. I think that covers it reasonably well, and we'll yeah. get into it in more detail. But also, great. I mean, I know we're going to get into this, but I, I love, 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 love the rela- like the character relationship, and then just the chemistry that Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Catherine Keener have. Uh, ha- you know, oh as, yeah, and yeah. Hers, we'll get into. I love this. Her, cast. Harper Lee. Yeah, it's just a tremendous cast. And uh, um, so Kyle, before before I don't want this to just drop in randomly. Okay. I want to get this over with. I do a great Capote. That's what I was going to say. I'm, sh- I'm sure you think you do a great Capote. And no, I want... it's, it's not that great. It's just very, very subtle. Are you going to do it? No, or... that's okay. bad. <laughs> that's it. That's it for the day. No, no, because I, I want our audience to let us know, does Kyle do a good Capote? So. Uh, that's a good Philip Seymour and Hoffman's Capote. There we go. I, I thank, thank, thank you. listened yeah, enough yeah, yeah. to actual Truman Capote. Are you going to be... offer one John as the actor? No, I no, think... No, he's way... He has dignity and pride and a career you'd like to have. Um... 
<laughs> no, I don't have dignity or pride, but uh, maybe I'll just, I don't know. I, I don't like to find out if I can do an impression live. And people judge like me because of know. my online dating. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you sound like somebody else and I can't put my finger on you my It's diary. just that generic, like, almost like... People judge me. Yeah, like, but people, you know, it's, just, it's a very cartoony. It's just, it's, it goes into Looney Tunes. Like, mine, mine, not... Obviously, the Academy or Orduinner are... Uh, I mean, not obviously. Some people had their issues. So, I mean, right off the bat, what did you think of his performance? It's a, it's a different performance. Well, it's a transformation role. That's what this is. He lost, like, physically lost 40 pounds or something like that for this role. And Truman Capote was 5'4", I think, like, on a good day. I mean, Philip Summer Hoffman's... On a good day. Yeah, 5'5". <laughs> five, five, five. <laughs> like the Bergdorf scarf yeah. adds a half an inch. Not a good, you know, like a nice, yeah, nice, a nice, like, you know... A little, 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 you know, shoe heel or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, no, so, and uh, Philip Schneider Hoffman, I think, it was, you know, like around like my, five, five, ten, six foot, you know, or something like that. But point, a big frame. Always yeah, and like a bigger a big frame. He was frame. a wrestler in his youth. So point being, like, he lost 40 pounds and he just, you definitely, and they also helped by dressing him in like, like, you know. And like, casting taller actors. Yes. They did that on purpose. John, what did you think of his performance overall? I thought it was interesting. I, I, I'm always intrigued by, I, especially with the case of, of Truman Capote, about whom I don't know very much. I mean, I, I know some of his short stories and I'm familiar with, for example, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and I have seen that film, and I know how that film differs from the story, but I don't know that much about him. So, f- for example, the the verisimilitude of the performance didn't make any impression on me sure. one way or another. Um, it didn't worry me. I felt a little bit thrown at the beginning of the movie watching him. I'm always a little bit thrown when people put on a voice yeah. um, for a role. But I f- my, my general feeling when watching a performance like that is to see how I feel half an hour in once I've gotten a chance to get used to it, you know? Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about how a performance is very much... that there are more analogies between sports and acting than I had previously realized. For example, not to get too deep into this as a distraction, but when you're dealing with football very often you can have a certain strategy or a certain approach that is working very well in the first half, but the excellence of your team proves itself when you make adjustments in the third quarter and are able to close out games in the fourth quarter. It's about that consistency of excellence. Mm-hmm. Right? And Something acting, you would know about being a Patriot fan. Exactly. Thank you. Yes, wonderful team. <laughs> Though it's sort of mediocre and lucky this year, but we'll let that pass. Oh, so boo-hoo. not gonna get into we got into it at brunch, we're not gonna get into it. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is not the place for that. But but I what I'm know. no, what I'm getting at is what's interesting to me is watching and I've become more aware of this the, the older I've gotten, how a performance can be interesting for about 10 minutes, but where you really prove yourself is two hours in, am I still enjoying watching this? Has it begun to grate, right? Am I getting tired of it? Is it one note? That, In other words, that's really the issue with one note. It's not that it's never interesting. It's, is it still interesting 40 minutes in? And I found that I was less and less distracted by his performance and more and more able to get into the story. It didn't take away for me, and that to me says that he did not go too far, um, that he was able to keep the focus where it should be, which well, is I on agree. telling I, I agree story. with that. S- something 
I, I knew a little of, and then listening to the commentary and just, you know, doing uh, the research for this. Um, so he was uh, college friends with the director, Bennett Miller, yeah, no, and the uh, writer, Dan Futterman. So they only had, like, one person on mind when they were, like, coming on to this, let's get him. And so the whole thing, like, you're saying you weren't, uh, like, I mean, not, neither am I. I. I've never read any of his work. You said you've read some short stories of Truman Capote. But all that Philip Sherman Hoffman really knew was that, like, his later life where Capote was just, like, on a lot of, like, talk yeah, shows and had, stuff like that. that. He's he just a larger-than-life. That's Tonight also the other show. thing. Not only is this a... Uh, like a biopic, this is a biopic about one of the most, like... So why do you say biopic? Versus biopic? That, that well, we'll go into that. Why do you say biopic over biopic? Because I was watching Special Features and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman. Hoffman said biopic, okay. and I said, that's good enough for me. I always, said, I always said biopic. I always said biopic. I, it's confusing, right? Because I say, like, biography. Yeah. Not biography. Yeah. So it is confusing. I just heard him say no, no, yesterday, so I decided. Do you feel like this is a, a biopic? Or no, a and, not, and, okay. and, and honestly, and That's actually, really and, 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 and neither did Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay, fair, because this is more of like a part of his life, and it's not so much even about. It's about his journey here, but yes. it's not so much like a biography on and, him. And again, yeah. the uh, sc- screenplay writer Dan Futterman, uh, which we, uh, I mean, Brian. No, no, yeah, no, I want to get yeah. into that when we do the cast stuff, yeah. for sure. Okay, but uh, he said he read In Cold Blood. And while he really, really enjoyed the book, he was more interested in, like, he said he still just really felt Capote's voice, like, Capote's voice and presence, even in this mm. nonfiction book he wrote. Even, you know, he's not, he didn't write himself into the book, but he just felt him there. So he was inspired by reading In Cold Blood. Cool. And then this is also based off of a book as well. But that's what really inspired him into like thinking about writing this material. Wait, what? My, my question is, so we he said it kind of in the opening here. Infamous was made at the same time, but I guess none, none, neither of these is an adaptation of In Cold Blood, so you could do it. You didn't have to get the rights to In Cold Blood. Is my point. No, you just. I guess you have to get the life rights though. Still. No, but you don't need to get life rights to anybody. If you're a real person, you could just make a s- story about them. Oh. Okay. So it, it's interesting. Like there was two movies, but before we dive into cast and crew, just John, to your point in terms of of that aspect of it, I think at the time, and this is, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think part of the reason he wins an Oscar for this is that he is not a known name. So we're we, this is the I love this movie. I've seen this a bunch of times. This is the weirdest time I've seen it because we start to watch all his films. Mm-hmm. And I'm so used to a couple different Philip Seymour Hoffmans and all doing a good job mm-hmm. that now it's the most jarring I've ever experienced in terms of hearing that voice of his. The first time I saw it, I didn't feel that way because I didn't really know him that well. I I, I'd, I'd say I have to agree. I don't I don't recall exactly like my my memory of watching it for the first time. Besides, like you know, like I mean, I know like I watched it and I enjoyed it, but. Uh, I, I mean, I'd, I'd say I'd have to agree. Yeah, I feel like most Americans didn't know, certainly did not know his name. They'd probably seen him here or there. Yeah. But more watched it and be like, oh, this guy, you know, like this this guy's doing it because he's got the voice down and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now I saw it, I was like, oh, wow. It was a little distracting at the beginning because I'm like, I'm so used to his voice and I'm so used to the way he plays things. That when I, and that, but I 100% agree with you. 
half an hour in, it wasn't something I was thinking about anymore. Well, even so, that, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman said that. So this is I or let's just it was around like a six week production. So actually, you know, like on the shorter end. Of the oh week. really? Oh wow. Yeah. It was. A I little, guess not a lot of locations. It was a like little, you mentioned. Yeah. It was. You know. Then they did like obviously then like some reshoots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, just like a little over six weeks, and he said after week two, so a, th- a third into the film is when he finally felt like comfortable, like the first scene with that he has with Chris Cooper, um, which is like the first scene he had with Chris Cooper, was also the first scene he has with Chris Cooper in the film, and he said like, he Chris Cooper was just such a trooper because it was like he had to do many, films and often had to do a lot of takes. And just, you know, was like he was tremendously like actually the first thing they had together was when they bring the two killers back into the Kansas City, but it's just like that big wide outdoor shoot, so it's not like there was any lines or anything. But he came up to him and he said it was really comforting because Chris Cooper came up to him and just said, Hey Truman, how's it going? (laughs) And he said, Oh, okay, like right from then he knew like he's game, he's gonna be with me throughout this and put up with my like, you know, I need to do for this character, what I need to do for this role. So the point it was just really, you know, I mean, again, like we we heard that great story of doubt and his whole uh, from Amos Poe about Meryl Streep. This is just another like a um, very open, candid moment from Philip Seymour Hoffman saying, you know, just like letting us know, yeah, like I mean, I wasn't. He knew him from like those just lavish like you know TV interviews and stuff like that. And but then once he started reading and seeing some earlier interviews and stuff like that, he was like, Oh, okay, this is something I want to do and I think I can do. But even two weeks in is when he first started feeling comfortable. So yeah, a hundred percent. I, I like I could see that being the case. Um we always do this just to get it over with, but this is obviously a critically acclaimed film. Ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. 81% I mean, audience score. And I could see that, you know, it's not for everybody. No, it's not, yeah. Okay. Um, we've, we kept, we keep alluding to this, but a film, Infamous, came out the year after, but they were actually filmed around the same time. This one had, like you said, Toby Jones as Truman Capote, and he's more of like the, the body for him. Yeah, yeah. I I feel uh, so. I'm sorry. I get Toby. It's Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Uh, I feel bad for him because then he also had many years later. I mean, it was uh, more successful, but he did an HBO Alfred Hitchcock type movie. Oh yeah, yeah. But at the same time, then there was a theater release. It was called Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins. (laughs) And so it's just like uh, this guy, or Toby Jones. Yeah. So that film. Infamously, I suppose, like came out after, and it's. Have you had any of you guys seen Infamous? No, I have not seen Infamous, and I also know that there's a feature film like that was shot kind of around the same time of In Cold Blood. Yeah, that's funny too. Like, like a couple, maybe a year after that, In Cold Blood. It's like how everyone's adapted. making Stephen King movies. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and likely in the case, especially of In Cold Blood, it was that that movie had been kicking around for a while, and somebody finally greenlit it because they knew that they could catch a wave. That's a good point. Sure. So Infamous gets it's seventy three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I've known people who've seen it, and they say it's good, but it just suffers from like timing. Yeah. Um, One of the things, so I tried to read about this film, Infamous. Um, Sandra Bullock plays the the Catherine. the Harper, Harper Lee. Lee. She yeah. was up for the in this role. Oh, this really? Movie as well. She yeah. lost it and got it somewhere else. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. funny. Um, 
have they, to say they traded up with Catherine Keener. Oh, she's just tremendous. I always like her. She's one of the also like I mean, it's not nearly when we were saying when the guys at Cage Club were thinking about a woman uh, to do a podcast for, and they yeah, I don't Char- know if she has a and they ended with Charlize Theron, but we were saying like obviously other actresses as well. Uh, that would be you know Catherine Keener would be very interesting. Only yeah, yeah, she's yeah. So regularly, I mean, when I can't think of a single time that she's ever been. The Capote, you know the the yeah, like and that's why title might, figure that with the lone poster. Yeah, which we, yeah, yeah, but she's a, no, she's she's so a good. Great. Um, the funny thing, so this movie Infamous, it's literally the same. It's not just another Truman Capote story. It's the same story. It's about it's like the same time writing in Cold Blood, but that director and I can't recall his name at the point at uh, right now, is he took more liberties into other things, so. Like and that so Daniel Craig plays uh, Perry Perry the in one, that film. Oh, interesting. And there's oh, a, there's actually it. a Truman Capote Perry sex scene in that film, what? which the director completely admits that he made up just from like assuming that it might have happened. That doesn't make any sense. How would that have ever been possible? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they're in this jail cell together. That's why I wrote it down because I was like, that is silly. Yeah, but and I need being to watch this by film. the guards. He's on death row. <laughs> I, mean, I know. I'm, I'm just. I'm not like. I'm well, we support like, the Hoffman version because I can't imagine. Yeah. That, that well, I do want, uh, insane. So, so, so that yeah, that does sound insane. But there were oh. there were two sex scenes. One was written but not shot. One was shot and then uh, taken out. In this Capote. Yes. Yeah. The two were that supposedly in the uh, I forget the name of the Kansas town. But supposedly there was, like, not, like, you know, they were, again, they were saying in the commentary, like, not a gay bar, but there were bars that you went to that you knew that, like, if you were gay, there was opportunities okay. to meet people. So there was one scene when he's spending a lot of time there and talking but with Jack, his partner back in New York, that he goes to this one bar and just, like, has a, a, a good old you know, romp in the bathroom. And that was written and not shot. The other one was when he is in Spain with Jack and while Catherine uh, Keener is there, uh, when, uh, you know, that that point in the movie that they're like dancing around and then there's just like a, just kind of like a sex scene and they said it just totally didn't fit like the tone of that because that's when he also finds out that they're, you know, on, that their appeal is, you know, yeah, uh, so I guess both are a little gratuitous. Yeah, I mean, th- it just obviously the uh, the infamous just sounds. Just <laughs> way, I mean, that's 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 way too much like artistic liberties there. I guess yeah, we'll yeah. have to watch that. But oh, so just while we're on here, has anyone here read In Cold Blood? No, no, unfortunately. We'll have to get maybe maybe in time we'll have to get someone on or maybe our uh, in between special who's read the book. That would, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see. Regardless. Um, Let's do the cast, and then we'll do the crew, because crew's very interesting. Yeah, the one last thing I'll say before we get into the movie is that, so this is, again, the year that he won Best Actor. Uh, there were two other actors that played, uh, you know, real you know, pe- uh, real people, and it was Joaquin Phoenix for Johnny Cash and uh, David uh, Strahan for Good Night and Good Luck. Hmm, interesting. They were, they were both, you know, so it was just like a... I mean, it was, a, it was a great class of actors that year. Cool, yeah, we'll definitely have to explore yes. that Academy Award thing later, perhaps for our special episode, too. Yes. So, uh, this cast, Kyle. 
Oh, um, we've got uh, obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Truman Capote, and then we have uh, Clifton Collins Jr. playing Perry Smith. And... I've seen this guy from time to time. Like the one thing I recognized him in is Westworld. Uh huh. He's like uh, he goes with um, Ed Harris's character. Ed Harris, another Hoffman collaborator. Yes. Um, um, but he does a really good job. Like, in, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's in, I like you know he's in like. Pacific Rim. I mean, he's just been in a bunch of. I mean, he's just a great. I think like a good character. Yeah, actor. he's he's a Mexican American actor. That's like where I've read read about him and that kind of stuff. Yeah, change his name for like you know those kind of reasons. But uh, then we have Catherine Keener playing. I never knew her. So it's Nell Harper Lee. Yeah, Harper Lee. Yeah, the writer of *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Yes, a famous book I've heard, which happens <laughs> during this movie and the and the making of that movie. Yeah, which is great. Happens like, during the time. Definitely want to get into that a little bit. Then uh, we have Chris Cooper playing Alvin Dewey. He's like the main, de- like de- detective. I think, yeah, or he's like think some like a state could, detective for could Kansas. be a police chief. Yeah. I don't know. And then we have Bruce Greenwood playing Jack Dumphy, who is also he's he, he's a writer and but he's uh, Capote's uh, partner. Yeah, his partner. And then uh, Amy Ryan playing Marie Dewey. Big thing I know her from is The Office. Yeah, she's been. She's also going to. Uh, I think collab- she won an Oscar though, supporting actor. Um, Did she? I know Ma- she's gonna Michael co- Clayton maybe. I, oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, Michael Clayton. But she uh, she's also gonna uh, be in. Uh, Philster Hoffman's directorial debut of Jacko's Boating, and Catherine she's Keener, good. She's she, good. She, Queen's and, Girl, and then, Kath, yeah, like and then Kath, Catherine Keener and Philster Hoffman will collaborate, I think, twice more in his career. Oh, cool. Uh, Dewey was the chief investigator of the 1959 murders, and he was a special agent of the Thank Kansas you. Bureau you. of Investigation. So gotcha. not the FBI, but Kansas's yeah, state. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, state. Yeah, but he also lived in town. That's why it was a little confusing to me. Yeah. But, um, I wonder if that's actually true or mm. a conflation, you know, a, a a purposeful conflation of events. So that gotcha. so in in the book, uh, in Cold Blood, and with the movie, and because they took it from In Cold Blood, Capote gave a lot of credit to Dewey, where there was a lot more people doing like the footwork. Yeah, that's one thing. Just a little aside about In Cold Blood. And we should, actually, we should definitely get into this right now. In Cold Blood is the start of this whole uh, true crime movement, the book itself, and that is like so like that is so topical now with all these podcasts from like uh, Serial, My Favorite Murder, like the top podcasts are all true crime podcasts. Well, it's his. So he's his. Pub, pub, Bob Balaban is his publisher. Is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So or, yeah, that's or what possibly I mean, said, his literary agent. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like definitely very involved. Mm-hmm. But in, ter- in terms of just this whole true crime movement yeah. now, this is like and this film is so topical now, and it's so uh, important because even in these podcasts, let's be honest, little details are glossed over. And in Cold Blood, it, he's like, what nonfiction novel, you know? Yeah. The first nonfiction novel. And it's, or supposedly, and it's, um, it's just like, it's such a predecessor to all these things. But it's, it's not 100% accurate because, again, it is a novel. Yeah. It's still not, this isn't like an article about it, which is what he intended to do there. Yeah, and so and it's, then, this is the one thing that kind of like made me like, 
also like depressed at the same time, and I found it interesting. So he's, re- <laughs> he's reading. What? No, so he's reading the New York Times, and he finds this article of this murder, like in Kansas. And I'm just like, that's like nothing nowadays. Like it's just, it, which you know, like I mean, I'm like laughing at, but it's just so sad that you know, obviously, yeah. for that to be inspiring for one becomes one of the most like you know best-selling books of all time and it, just it's not but it, it now it like i feel like we're in a revival of that it is a big deal our days because there's again so many freaking big deal for someone to type on facebook i haven't i mean i'm no, not, no, not caught up you're in not into stuff. this movement kyle I'm there's sorry, the, I'm, sorry. The, I'm not into it either but i hear so many people freaking talk about these freaking true crime podcasts every time there's a murder someone does a freaking podcast about it well okay but hang on i think i think we're talking about two different things i I do th- understand the point that's being made about in our current moments where it's when it seems like there's another mass shooting every week, someplace often as what just happened in Texas, yeah. completely remote, like Holcomb, Kansas. Fair, fair. By the way, um, uh, Dewey lived in in Finney County. Okay. He lived in Garden City, Kansas, but. Um, Holcomb is also in Finney County. So he did live nearby. Okay. So um, despite just, working gotcha. for the state, yeah. there was some level of coincidence there. Okay. Or perhaps that's why he was made chief investigator, because of his ability to stay on site conveniently. Makes sense. Who Makes knows? Sense. But someone. <laughs> but anyway, I'm Ladies getting distracted. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we have John Harden on retainer. Yeah. I'm interested. So, um, <laughs> so uh, no, but what I want to point out is, so there's, I understand the point that Kyle's making about it, it maybe seems less important now. I also see what you're talking about, that that everybody's got a podcast about true crime. It's very popular. But one thing that I do think stuck out to me about this film that seems related is you see in these parties, and granted one of them is a film premiere for To Kill a Mockingbird, which is just as current as it is now, but the feeling that you get from watching this movie is of how much of a celebrity and how admired Truman Capote is. Yeah. And and there's something about that that I think is changed. I don't mean that writers aren't still held in esteem, but there is... I mean, this is something we just talk about all the time with the muddying of the water in terms of celebrity. We have so many more notable persons nowadays. There sure. are so many more avenues for becoming famous that this idea of the glamorous fiction <laughs> author <laughs> yeah. i think it struck me i'm sure it's still true but uh-huh. but i think it feels to me watching the movie and maybe i'm just hopelessly naive about the literary world but it felt to me no. watching that movie like this is a person that has risen to a height that would never be quite the same today yeah, I mean, again, just those, the, like you said, the avenues of, like, ways of becoming popular and f- famous, and uh, it's just, I mean, but again, he is also, on top of being just such a gifted writer, it was his personality that just struck people. People invited him to parties because they knew their parties would be that But much how many how many writers would you see on game shows? Or, like, he was on game shows all the time. Yeah. You know? How many writers today would you see on well, game shows? How many writers in Kansas are people going to recognize by name? Right. Like, that's, I, I, that's I, the part that's 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. me. Yeah. Well, smaller world, smaller times, and, you know, it's... Right. Uh, right. And it's something like, like, the only person I can think of that's a popular writer, you know, maybe John Grisham, or people who write 
thrillers and you know or Stephen King. Stephen King. But when yeah. I think of those people, when I think of Dan Brown, but when I think of more popular writers like that, I always think, but they're not writing. J.K. Rowling. Okay. Okay, that's actually a really good example of some. But even then, ultimately writing children's yes, books, yes. despite what yeah. people want to believe. <laughs> um, you know, these are books for kids. There's something about the kind... I mean, you look at Breakfast at Tiffany, like the kind of themes that Truman Capote was dealing with mm-hmm. are are much more mature themes. So George R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah, but no, but like even... Yeah. Okay, would you see... It's just jo- not an analog. Would you see John Grisham on a, on a game show these Murakami, days? Murakami, maybe? Is he? I'm getting into <laughs> chartered territory. I'm just trying to think of who occupies no, the same no, space. No, just, but you're right. Not... Some of it is that Capote was, in addition to being a great writer, such a personality yeah. that he conjured yeah. this this cult of personality around himself mm-hmm. that made him even bigger than the writing. Um, people wanted to see him and meet him in person. And I think they capture some of that in the film with some of Philip Seymour Hoffman's improvised segments. Yeah, so the first scene that we meet him was one of, if not the last, that was a reshoot. We definitely have to get into the crew, but there's a lot more cast here. Because Ben Miller's a director here, but you mentioned Bob Balaban before. Yes. So Bob Balaban's his publisher, but ironically he was also Phil Sinhoffen's director early in his career. Yeah, in... Um, My Boyfriend's, my boyfriend's back, back, that weirdo zombie oh, film. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I wonder what I always imagine like the conversations later. Like, oh, how's it? Yeah. Like, remember when I directed to you in that weird? Yeah, and I, like, yeah, and you were just like <laughs> coming at like a guy with like an axe, and you hit your head in the axe, and that's how you die in the film. Oh, you're just one best actor for this movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, if anyone you how haven't far mentioned, they both on come. Uh, and the only person, the only other like main character I haven't mentioned is the uh, actor Mark Pellegrino, and he plays oh. D- Dick Hickok, which is the other killer besides Perry yeah. Smith. And th- I mean, those are like you know. So, crew-wise, Bennett Miller and Dan Futterman. Futterman. So, Bennett Miller, like, I know you alluded to this, too. Uh, Bennett Miller and Dan Futterman and Philip Singer Hoffman went to high school acting camp together um, somewhere in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And they, like, always dreamed about doing a movie together. Uh, I don't know if all of them went to NYU. You went to NYU, John. I did. say that. I did. Um, I don't know if all of them went to NYU. I know... um, the director did, and Hoffman did. I'm not sure yes, about Yes, definitely two of them. I'm not exactly sure about Dan Futterman. So, what's his name? The director, Bennett Miller, who I really like. Um, we'll do another one. I mean, he's only later. So three feature films? Yeah, he did a documentary in 1998, and he apparently refused all these other... Offers. Offers to do films until he could do his own movie with his own people. And somehow he got that opportunity. God, tell me how, you know, how that works. Yeah. But he got to do Capote... And he, and he said, I'm putting my own people in. And Hoffman said yes, even before, like, really, really saying yes, you know. It kind of felt like he had to do it, and then... And then they go on to collaborate for Moneyball. Yeah. And then his third... I don't think Dan Futterman was involved in that one, though. Right? No, no, but Ben Miller and Phil Which you mentioned, I think you were going to say it earlier, the only thing we recognize Dan Futterman from... Like, really recognize him. Really recognize him. He's, he's the writer of this film, but he's also an actor. We, yes. We both this is the that... first attempt he ever had at writing. Uh, not, to not too bad, and uh, yeah, the... yeah, we know him from *The Sun and the Birdcage*, a film yeah. that we've discussed a lot. <laughs> the, right, oh. Val, Val, yeah. Val. Oh yeah. my goodness, yeah. that's Dan Futterman. Yeah, yeah. that's Dan Futterman. That's so funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow, he does a great job in that film. Yeah, well, I mean, we, were, we were like talking he, before. Has it been a long time? Am I going to be? No, no he it's do a not bad that. Job. It's he's just, just like think, think about the other like, four like 
you're Nathan Lane, you're Robin Williams, you're Gene Hackman. But his, that, but that's his job. His job. No, I understand. He's a straight. He's uh, no well, right. Come on, our birdcage podcast. Yeah. His job okay. is to be normal, and I think even <laughs> Callista Flockhart. Now, this might be a point against him that you're trying to make. Even Callista Flockhart is a little bit of a character, I think, at times. Um, she yeah, has more I mean, conflict. There's more. I don't know. It's we again. This is not a birdcage podcast. Yeah. We were discussing that we in the car actually on the way here, wanting to see more of that conflict with like they're getting married so young mm-hmm. that we, yeah. we, we would. Regardless, it's anyway, not a birdcage podcast. <laughs> that film's given over to its stars, as you already mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as it probably should be. Yeah, well, that's... But, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I think it's also then something to say. Wait, I think Mike f- Nichols did that film. The Birdcage? That's, yeah, that sounds right. So it's not like this, like this bullshit throwaway film. Regardless, no, 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 anyway. No. anyway <laughs> but the, 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 only, the only other thing before, like, getting talking about certain scenes and everything like that, uh, that I want to say is that clearly... So that then Bennett Miller and Philip Seymour Hoffman go on to collaborate for Moneyball, and then Bennett Miller's third, and he's supposedly in production of some other films but uh was uh foxcatcher and i think it's just really interesting if you think i i didn't particularly enjoy foxcatcher i was really excited when i saw the trailer and then i just didn't enjoy the film yeah much. i mean but, the performances everyone said were good but i think it's really interesting to see that he does these films based on real people and kind of like broken male figures you know true true so. and i think i i don't know if it's on the air off the air i mentioned this but i totally see philip Seymour hoffman in foxcatcher like, oh, to- yeah. Like, yeah, he, he totally yeah. fit into that world so well. It's unfortunate. Um, one thing before we jump in, I did. I just read a quote, like, right, literally right before we started recording, about um, the film Infamous. Mm-hmm. Gordy Hoffman, who wrote Love, Liza? Yes. Philip Turner Hoffman's brother, brother. Said that the fact that Infamous was in production at the same time really, really motivated Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's like oh. the wrestler and the athlete came out of Oh, him. the competitive. Yeah, and he got very competitive about like just doing a fucking good job. Right off the bat, when the movie starts, I think it sets the tone kind of perfectly. It just, these desolate shots, I mean, they shot up in Winnipeg, but it's these like flat plains of Kansas and just very out there in Kansas <laughs> sorry uh, and it just really and that's what they were going for as well uh, with the music and just simple like piano but then just showing these wide empty very minimal cut like they wanted a lot of yellows and greens they did they made a point never to have like blue or red in the film mm. the only time that there's like bl- that I saw and Blood. like uh, was yeah was the, when we finally see like Perry uh, in the killings and then when he's in Spain the sky is just very sunny and blue you know like mm. that's, but besides that everything and it, it's something that like I was noticing I'm just like oh I love these outfits like the way especially again the Ka- Catherine Keener is just if I mean obviously if it wasn't for Philip Seymour her in this movie is just She's she's perfection in my eyes. Who? Catherine Keener. Oh, Catherine Keener. Yeah. And just and then also uh, from obviously her acting and the way she portrays Harper Lee, but just her outfits and she just fits right into that time and um, but it's just a lot of these great like greens and yellows and just uh, the, that that palette. But again, so that just the fact that it's slow and mellow and then you start off with it's this. Um, and what happened in real life was this family, uh, a mother, father, son, and daughter were uh, murdered in their home in Kansas, and they were supposedly like a well-off, like 
farming family. Which they didn't really show um, too much in the film. No. It just looked like the like regular average family. Apparently they were like one of the wealthiest families in town. Yeah. But just um, like very, you know. Hmm. Which is which, which is why they chose to rob. Yeah, that that's and that's the heartbreaking moment of like Perry's like you know at the end explaining once Truman oh, yeah, finally yeah. cracks the egg. Yeah, that they of... don't make go. But that seems like it would have been useful context that I didn't get. That's interesting. That, I think it like, would have been extremely helpful. I think when he finally does share, we heard there was ten thousand dollars in that house. I think it comes as a strange. You thought there was ten thousand dollars in a random farmhouse? Yeah, it's, it does. The, it's a little bit odd. In the mm. beginning, that would have been I helpful context. In the beginning, when they're doing their little rounds, and like the police like meeting that they go to, like uh, like in the beginning, there's just very. It's like easily tossed in there, like that they were like a well-off, you know, farming family. Right. So yeah, the, you know. So point being, it's it wasn't like made a big point, and it's right at the beginning, and then pretty much like right towards like the last like you know. Yeah, it gets lost. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, but so this the fr- a friend of the daughter comes over, knocks on the door, goes inside, and she finds this horrific scene of the this family. And, yeah, and it's gory off the bat. They don't leave much. For yeah, that was very. Yeah, it reminded me a lot. If either of you guys have uh, ever seen uh, the assassination of Jesse James. By the coward a Robert Ford. Seen again. It's, one of my, it's a great film by a fantastic director. Actually, it very reminds me of Bennett Miller because he hasn't made a lot of films. His name is Andrew Dominic, and uh, it just remind because you know it's like the same area, the, pla- the you know the plains of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And, There's uh, a muted tone. And to a, that yeah, movie exactly. As well. And just like and the same the way of violence is shown in that is just like just like you see like the a- aftermath of that's like just like and you stay with it. And I, again, one of the most haunting scenes I think is once Capote also goes into the funeral home, and you just and he looks, and you're like, oh, they're not going to show what's in the casket. And it's even not like you see, you don't see blood on it, but you just see it's the mother, and just and he even says it in his reading later on the film, but just like the cotton that's wrapped around right. her face. Yeah. But uh, but I mean, it's this movie just so I think tone wise just sets it up perfectly, and then we cut to this New York City, you know, like fun party where he's just like the bell of the ball and <laughs> and you know and entertaining everybody and his little anecdotes, and then right away then cut to the like what could be the next day, and he's reading that article, and he calls up Bob Balaban. I'm just gonna call him Bob Balaban the whole time. Calls up, calls up Balaban and says like, uh, you know, like I know what I want to write next. You know, so it's, it's just got a very, you know. Yeah, it's very interesting. I was, I really love that contrast and the way that they set that up. I think that that speaks to the truth of of what's happening with Capote. That he's so far removed from this world, and we see that right from the very beginning. That the way that his scene of New York nightlife and yes. riffing and it's shot in a less formal way it's very clearly not I don't know that there even is any dialogue before we well, see him yeah, but it feels are, yeah. tighter and controlled and then the party even the camera work it's is handheld yeah. looser yeah. and and more flowing and you know they do everything they can to set up that juxtaposition and then what's really interesting and and strange is the way that his discovery of this story is so ordinary Yes, and there's and it's quick, and they really you know from a from just a purely practical point of view, you could say, well, they're just trying to get the exposition over mm-hmm. with. But it also speaks to this this impenetrability that we never get inside Truman Capote's head 
until the very end, mm-hmm. I think they show an emotional unveiling. But there's a lot unsaid in the film, and a lot that he does not express himself, or a lot that he expresses himself untruthfully yeah. to people that mm. you're not sure. And there's something about just watching him look at an article, cut it out of the paper, and call his agent that's all very matter-of-fact. Yeah, well, I think it it's just it's a big moment that just kind of reveals or slightly reveals a lot of things. Like, number one, that's just like what – that was part of his process – he was just he obviously loves reading and then he'll find something and that's just like a general you know pro, i think like a process for him mm-hmm. and so i mean and that's and again we we said it early on it was originally intended just to be an article and then he just realizes oh my god there's just so much more yeah. here to discover and uncover and right. uh so he decides to write this will be his next book but something i wrote down because and you're saying to like the like he finally reveals himself or opens up in the end um i think there's like a little by little because again the juxtaposition scene i love seeing you know like the new york versus kansas then we have that come face to face when you have truman harper and then the deweys at their table and i just love that little he's giving to like amy ryan to like you know uh alvin's wife just like you know humphrey bogart and then he says uh, I think John, and she's like Houston, you know, and she's like mm-hmm. answering his mm-hmm. because she knows that stuff. But like Chris Cooper, you know, could care less. He's <laughs> he was clearly concerned with the case yeah. and uncertain whether he likes this guy. Yeah, but then Truman opens up and gives this little story of like his mother's death. But at the same time, this is a movie, and I wrote down this originally that I'm like that it's uh I think it's a very much like nature versus nurture is a big theme, and then also like this m- manipulation. Uh, but then also we were listening to before we started recording. Um, we've referenced this uh, b- before, but the Fresh Air uh, Terry Gross yeah, interview. Yeah, great interview. Great interview. Great interview. Uh, check it out. And and adding to he's uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman added, or actually Terry Gross said, the empathy versus manipulation. And right. So like which that's he, always which Hoffman agreed with. On the yeah. Interview. Which 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 Philip Seymour Hoffman said you you just said that perfectly, and that is so I like I felt the manipulation, but that's that says it perfectly the empathy because that's the whole thing because then all of a sudden you get to this point that you're like is he well number one is this stuff always true and then is it is he just saying it because he is opening up or is he trying to also use it as a manipulation purposes? So one of the things that I think is so fascinating about this movie that I wanted to make sure to get in is we talked about how it's not really a biopic, but one of the things that I think is interesting as a way of looking at it is to try and shove it anyway into or or look at it through Mm -hmm. the lens of biopics. And, for example, one of the things that I think is interesting about this movie is the way that it's marketed. Now, I understand it was based on the biography of the same name of Capote, but to me, this movie should not really be called Capote. Oh, I agree. Right? It's not like Ray um, (laughs) or something like that. That's sort of a summing up, as we've already covered. So, but... They called it Capote to me because they wanted to make sure that people knew exactly what it was. Yeah. And it's not fair to call it In Cold Blood either. And so, you know, this you is... You know, that's why Infamous is t- titled right. <laughs> Infamous. And, yeah. and it's very clearly marketed. I mean, you said that no one knows who... Not no one knows, but that he w- that Philip Seymour Hoffman was not yet a household name. But if you look at the way that it's marketed with him alone in this poster, I do. it has the markings to me of... This is a movie you're going to see because this actor is in it. 
and uh, you know which is more typical of the biopic model but anyway that's just one thing that i found interesting was was how a name gets chosen and then we see that discussion in the movie as well about this thing in cold blood where i think this title just as easily refers to truman capote's means of getting the story as the story itself um who's really the cold-blooded one and that's why, honestly, you could have called this In Cold Blood. And I think right. it would have been okay. Might have been a better title. However, just, or just, however yeah. this is something we were saying before. You probably would have to buy the rights to it. Right. And right. that's why or, you can't. Yeah, it could have been that. Yeah. It could have been cold, something as simple blood. as that. It could have been that they, they wanted to put Capote first. I, but, okay, so to go back to this whole idea, idea that I was talking about, about uh, Capote's impenetrability, something else that I thought was really interesting is we don't, I guess what I was trying to get at with with the newspaper scene is that we only see Truman with multiple people through most of the beginning of the film. And even, because not to be contradicted, even when he is on the train with Harper Lee going to Kansas, even in that scene, which you would think might bring more intimacy, we understand that they have a real relationship. Oh, but so even good. there, he pays a yeah, baggage oh, handler. Yeah. So right? Even there, there's manipulation, there's, there's covering. Oh, right, yeah. that he has artifice always. And we see that even with his friends, there's artifice and there's performance oh, and there's God, name yeah. dropping. Oh. You see, like right from the beginning, yeah. we are told this is a person that is is surface level even to his closest friend sometimes. And she has to tolerate it to the point that later in the movie we even see when he's miserable at the bar and at her movie premiere that she reacts incredibly indulgently and patiently knowing that this is who her friend is. Oh, you're having a pity party at my premiere. That's fine. That's just true. No, No, honestly, that relationship between two of them art is just amazing like that scene that you're talking about the movie premiere scene <sighs> the fact that like yeah he's a little happy for his friend but it's all about him yeah this is such a selfish character i mean he definitely he's also he's intoxicated but uh but i mean um, but, no, no, no. <laughs> but i love that yeah then her last line, line before she walks away is just like oh and how'd you like the movie and then like he just like is muttering is you know like and just didn't say what all the fuss just, was, ah, about. Yeah. was about yeah yeah, <laughs> and, and she, it shows shows to her character too. You know, yeah. she's unconditionally his friend. Yeah, and he she just is, keeps calling and saying, like, saying, like, I'm never gonna get over this. And she's like, you're. And one of her, I think her last line in the movie is, "You're alive." And what we know about like Harper Lee in real life, like she wrote that. I think she recently wrote a novel too, but she wasn't like the prolific novelist. Well, actually, so the novel that was recently released oh, was is pre- entitled Ghost at a Watchman. And it's a, um, I believe it's a prequel to To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. That it's debatable whether she wanted it released. She is now so very old to the point of um, possibly being senile. Uh, and there's Harper a, Lee's alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah I believe she that, is yeah. still alive. Oh, yes. Jesus. Um, wow. Yes. Okay, I, I didn't... No, and there's been a lot of controversy about that novel for multiple reasons. Um that maybe she never wanted it to be released. Oh, wait. I, that's a prequel? Well, Isn't so, there a sequel that like turns Atticus, Atticus Finch into like a racist or something? This is That's correct. But I, I thought maybe that it took that the events actually took place before To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, but I might be wrong about that part. That's that's where I might be I'm uh, not doing too our sure, listeners a disservice. I'm not sure, but I know it came out yeah. recently. 
But but she's not one who ever sought celebrity. Famously, no. She, she, so it's almost the opposite of Truman. And right. we yeah. see that in this film. Like she's oh, just, she just puts up with so much shit. Like there's one guy like oh and a, a children's book. Oh good for good for you. And just like and messing up the title. And she doesn't. The thing is, she doesn't have to. She just wrote this book. Yeah. Yeah. Which is am- maybe at the beginning, but she wrote this book, which is an amazing book. Obviously, everyone's read, and it, it's made into a Gregory Peck film. Mm-hmm. But she's still almost playing second fiddle to Truman's pity party. You know, there's a there's a story out there that I was just reading that uh, a th- theory that um, Truman, in order to thank Harper Lee for her help on writing In Cold Blood, wrote To Kill a Mockingbird for her. Which or something like that for her help in his life, which I think is uh, much like the false Shakespeare, you know, Shakespeare was somewhere else claims, I think is bullshit. And I think it a good example. Now, this is not true for Shakespeare, but uh, misogynist. I think, you know, this idea that, oh, Harper Lee, well, she probably couldn't have written it. It must have been her friend Truman Capote. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, that's... I think it's just gross that that's even a theory. But um, Because even knowing to... his personality, if Truman Capote could write To Kill a Mockingbird, he would have written To Kill a Mockingbird. Right, although and Truman he would have <laughs> taken credit for Truman it. Although Truman Capote's real name is Boo Radley. Right. So, <laughs> oh, that is a pretty big... Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> a little suspicious. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just think that's an interesting thing. So actually that goes back to what I wanted to raise earlier as well. Uh, traditional biopic, if I can say traditional, maybe just the cliched biopic is kind of worshipful. And I think a lot of them fail for just that reason that they take this tone of reverential awe towards whoever the subject matter is. And this film does not, this film uh, on purpose looks at a very specific slice and does very little to try and, What's the word I'm looking for? Sugarcoat or... Yeah, persuade you into like... Into loving this yeah. man. He's deeply problematic. And I think that that's great. I think it's one of the reasons that the film succeeds it, for me. It's like the last temptation of Christ. Versus, Jesus! Yeah, Nazareth. Jesus. Sorry. Yeah. Inside joke. The, that versus just like telling a passion tale, you know? like Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I think every biopic goes back to, like, biblical things, you know? Not to, like, bring it really back. And just, well, every story goes back to, like... Christ. <laughs> but uh, he's certainly not... He's certainly a flawed figure. And not because... You know how there's so many, like, like as you say, biopics, where it's like, he's flawed, but that's what made him great, mm. you know? that's We don't get yeah. that here. I also just want to say, I, I, I love that... I mean, it, I mean, the movie's called Capote, and so we are talking about Capote, and, it, and he's a real life person but that's I think also a testament the way we're talking about it is just a testament to Philip Sheer Hoffman's performance that we're just so you know involved with like this actual character that I mean you know like I mean it's such a terrific performance that we are just we're talking about almost like we're watching a documentary in a way like I I just I I yeah maybe maybe yeah I I don't know to some extent it's interesting I would have to go back and because the way you're talking about it earlier uh, and and this implication that it's actually not um, a headliner Hollywood film, you know, the way that it's marketed and who's in it, it feels very much like a Hollywood film to me, like a big marquee thing. And that was part of the reason that I thought maybe it had gotten the name that it did because I, th- I noticed the bigger movie. No, no, no gets, I think it was. The, I the title thought, is well, I, th- down. I think come marketing time, then they realize, oh, we got we got something. And yeah, like, let's. 
right. you know, award season and it definitely because right. so i think but during production it was just like I it see. wasn't a huge budget who knows if that to, was the title during production even right yeah. who knows maybe the you know maybe the the marketing people chose that name <laughs> out of a hat right just, just like... so that they could do the reading <laughs> you know. um I think the first scene that I, I would love to play a clip from, and it's just like, and like I like, I mean, like I said, there's there's some great talking scenes, but there's none that are like incredibly long, because mm. there's also a lot of like visual or just nice silence, and I feel like just everyone's like digesting something during this movie. Everyone's just taking in something. Um, but the first one I would love to play a clip from is when uh, Capote and uh, Harper Lee are speaking to the girl. Her name's Laura. She's the one that found the family. And uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's just a great scene, so we'll play that for you. Yeah, that's been really hard for Danny. Oh, it's the hardest when someone has a notion about you and it's impossible to convince them otherwise. Because since I was a child, folks have thought they had me pegged because of the way I, the way I am. You know, the way I talk, and, and they're always wrong. You know what I mean? I want to show you something. Maybe this will give you a better picture of what happened. Um, what is this? Cute diary. So, I mean, what, what what do you guys take away from this scene? I mean, just it helps the story because it gives them that much more insight because of the diary that she gives. Yeah, this is the first time, well, I don't know if it's the first time, but it's one of these times where you see him just, he knows how to relate himself to other characters mm -hmm. and get what he wants from them, like in, in such a such an interesting way to me. You know? Like, yeah. Right. And it was previous to the scene, I love it that, like, Harper also knows that, like, he necessarily doesn't... People will... Because he, he goes into the preconceived notion, so people just naturally have that for him. But I think he kind of has that of a little bit with people as well, so he's just not dealing with, like, the locals of Kansas as well as she might, you know, she might yeah. have a softer touch, so she's going to go and talk to this girl's family first, and that's when he goes into the funeral home. Yeah, I know Kansas isn't the South, but, like... Which they are both from, right? They're both, they're from, both from the South. They were neighbors at one point. He moved around a lot. Yeah. But he is so um, New York at this point, you know? Yeah. She keeps her, like, small-town Southern charm, mm -hmm. and she's able to get with these small-town people more than he is. He admits that he misses nothing about his, like, Southern upbringing. Yeah. She still has that, like, and I mean this in, like, a negative, like, that homely, just, like, very warm, like, you know, could be that neighbor that you just want to, like, open up to or something, you know? Yeah, she plays those cards well. And yeah. He, he uses, and she understands yeah. that, and he even understands that. Yeah. I think. And, but that's what this scene, that's what that Even, like, is. finding that girl, right? Like, they're outside that high school, and he just, Yeah, like, he tries to go up, yeah. After, what's her name again? Laura. Like, Laura? You know, like, yeah. a, like really creepily. She ducks right around him. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's, I mean, it's an interesting pairing, the way that they work together, clearly. Yeah. But then once they're in that sitting across intimate setting, he just, he has that great moment of sharing with her, just like, listen, like, and, you know, 
and you know like how, telling her that things will like get you know, she went through this horrific experience of finding her friend and just seeing i mean if even if you didn't know people and you saw us gruesome scene like that that's gonna do you know horrible things to you you know it's funny actually it just occurs to me now that there's something of the master and the role that he plays in that film yeah in this performance definitely and i know you haven't gotten there yet or at least i assume not right that no, no, no no yeah that was well after, after this uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah 2012 i believe right um but that's interesting to see that maybe maybe um paul thomas anderson saw this performance as well. I know they were already collaborating yeah. at that point, but there's something. No, definitely. Like I mean, I don't just, know. Just knew that he could play a character and and do right. like have. Maybe they play. saw the same thing. Maybe it's not enough to say. Right. I'm sure that PTA already knew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if anything else, val- val- validated he, it. Yeah. You know? I right. mean, he he saw him as like a jerk prep school boy and sent a woman but, decide to put him as a crap a loud speaking crap but player. But you know what it does and, to a guy like PT Anderson <laughs> who already believes in him. It it gets him the money to do projects with him as a lead well, yes. rather than as a side character. No, no, that's a worthy and that's a very valid and worthy thing to bring up because at that point we're talking he had collaborated with him for four times. But what are the size of these roles? A three minute scene in Hard Eight, Scotty J and Boogie Nights that has like his one big scene at the car, and then Magnolia is like, I mean, uh, yeah, Magnolia is a little bit in an ensemble. Yeah, and then and then and then Punch Drunk Love is you know like two two or three scenes with you know Adam Sandler. Right. So point being, the master is just you know the... right. He's never the lead before that. Yeah. No. Yeah. P.T. Anderson can, can go to his people and say, "This is the movie I'm doing. Philip Seymour Hoffman's a star," and no one's gonna say crap about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, oh, that's oh a, 2005 okay. Best Actor winner. Yeah. Like Phil that. Seymour. That's a good idea. <laughs> right. Go, go for it. Okay. Right. You know, he can do that, whatever you say. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then Joaquin Phoenix, the man that lost Best Actor to him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and then, I mean, a- after that, it's just, uh, uh, you know, it's they stay in Kansas for a while, right? It's like, I think at least like three, yes. three months or so. Yeah, uh, this first trip to Kansas is long with Harper. When he, yeah. He'll go back later without her. Which is also just really interesting. I mean, like... Uh, clearly you're seeing it and you can understand it from the film, but I just find that very interesting of these two writers. It's not like, you know, it's not like she worked for him or something. And what was she necessarily gaining from this besides just being like a good friend along for the, you know, I wonder how she got paid. He was clearly like paid on salary from the New Yorker. Yeah. That's what maybe maybe he got her a little bit of a, yeah, it's just a very pay uh, as his assistant, you know, while she worked on her books. But again, this, this just goes to like, People, oh, I worked on my novel for, or he worked on this for four years, right? Like, he's famous enough here to work on something for four years and not have to worry about, like, getting money, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I You see a lot, too, like, from the phone calls, his relationship with his partner, Bruce Greenwood, right? Is that the actor's name? The, that's the actor's yeah, name. Well, yeah, I forgot. Oh, Jack. Right. Jack is yeah. name. Jack Dunphy. Yeah, and, and, like, that's interesting, too. Well, right? we. Also, that's another relationship that we rarely see them conversing alone. That, for example, his first conversation with him takes place when he is celebrating with Catherine Keener's character, with Harper Lee, the selling of her novel. So there's a third person in the room. The other telephone conversation, at least that I can recall, he's talking with him and there's a strange encounter with a man who comes out of the bar, which looks like maybe where... There might have been that cut sex scene, but sure. this man comes out of the bar, clearly makes a significant look mm. at mm. Truman Capote, and then goes back inside. There's always someone else figuring in. 
during those yeah. exchanges. And except for the one scene we get when they're in Spain. Which even that, you feel the tension, and Truman finally does decide, like, oh, I'm going to leave, I'm not going to stay in Kansas, like, the, I'm not getting Perry to open up about, you know, this, about the crime. He wants to hear what happened on, I mean, the film opens up with saying, you know, November, oh, November 15th, 1959, I mean, that's when the movie starts, that's when, that's when the crime happened. Right. And so just this whole, and I think the, then the movie spans over... I forget X amount of years. Four like, years. Four years. He said he's working on the book four years. So yeah, it even you know it has like a one year later jump that he was in Spain for like a while You're, with him. So when are you premiering this episode again? It's gonna be well. This is Sunday. It's gonna be this Wednesday. So you recognize that whether by exquisite planning or pure coincidence, that's the fifteenth. What is? Wait, what? Well, <laughs> yeah, November fifteenth. That's the anniversary oh. of these murders. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. No, we we did that intentionally. Yeah, almost, <laughs> we are very almost by seventy years. Well, we knew right. this was such a great 68. moment in his career that we started the podcast on a particular day right. on purpose mm-hmm. right. and released on Wednesday. Anyone that knows every me week. knows that right. I have like a godlike complex. Right, I can wow. see you both at home with the red pieces of twine. And yeah. The, <laughs> wow, that is, is this November fifteenth. Is that really the date? Yes. That's amazing. That's That's pretty well done. That's great. Happy accident. You know what that is? You know what that is? That's the man blessing us from heaven. Oh, okay. Thank you, Perry (laughs) Smith and Dick Hickok. Not them. (laughs) I don't know if those are the... Yeah, that's maybe not. Let's back up. They might have gone to a different place. I'm not sure. Well, (laughs) um, depends on your dogmatic principles, I suppose. Right. Always, always. (laughs) Let's talk religion more. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, that yeah. that's actually awesome. Wow. Okay. We definitely have to uh, promote yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So let's see. Where were we? We. The, well, they've been in Kansas for a while. Right. And so I mean, th- this is just they're getting to know people, and particularly they're getting to know the Deweys. And like I, I, we we mentioned that dinner that they have that they're sharing stories, and then he opens. Yeah. Up, and then and again, finally, Amy Ryan and Chris Cooper have like such. Like the, uh, those are four talented actors. Those Absolutely. are all four Oscar-nominated people. Like, has Chris Cooper ever won an Oscar? No, he hasn't. No. Wow, that's surprising, right? I know he's been nominated a couple times. Wait, uh, actually, I don't want. I'll I'll look yeah. it up. Keep going. Um. So yeah, four talented people there, and you just like it's oozing the actually, talent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and uh, and again, I love that dinner scene because I mean she plays so again so. Amy Ryan plays this the wife of Chris Cooper. No, he has won an Oscar. Oh, uh, in two thousand three, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Adaptation. Oh, uh, I was gonna. Okay. Say, you know what? Then I, I, was I know he was nominated for Adaptation. I didn't realize he won. Love Adaptation. And Catherine Keener definitely didn't win an Oscar, right? No, but she was nominated for being John Malkovich. Okay. She was she wasn't nominated for this. I don't know. Supporting actress? Um, Maybe. We should, stuff we should know. <laughs> it is interesting to see that I think that's his only nomination. Really? Yeah. I thought American is... Beauty got... Well, it's just a little more surprising, I have to say, that he would only be nominated for that one. At least he's got a statue. Yeah, one for one ain't bad. <laughs> but, um, you know, but... Uh, yeah. Um, it's no, here, right, right now, I've got it right here. Oscar winner, obviously, Philip Schumer Hoffman. And then nominees were Best Motion Picture. For Capote, you're saying? Yes, this is for Capote. And then uh, Catherine Keener nominated. Okay. 
and uh, director nominated, uh, best writing adapted screenplay nominated, and then yeah, those were the Oscars. I mean, those are big ones. Yeah, we're not talking about like costume design and stuff. Not that that's that is an art in itself. Yes, but those are big ones. So speaking of that scene with all those four great actors, why don't we play it? Because it's such a that's just a good scene. Absolutely. And he said, I feel like you're spiting me. I, I, do you think I took this job to spite you? <laughs> I was writing the script as they were filming all that time in Italy, and I, I worked like mad all day long and then dashed down to the bar around midnight to end in the next day's scenes. And Humphrey had, had, had just about moved into the hotel bar. Humphrey Bogart. Where he and John... John Houston. <laughs> and, uh, they drank every night. And I mean drank, you know, like famished water buffaloes. Well, I'd only just handed them the final scene when the bellhop told me I had a phone call. And it was my stepfather, Joe Capote, calling to say that my mother had died. Yeah, I, I flew home to New York, terribly distraught. But when I got to the apartment, I could see that Joe was in even worse shape than I was. He grabbed my hand and he said to me, talk. Hey, talk about anything, you know? I mean, any subject in the world, don't worry whether it'll interest me or not. Just talk. So I won't break down. He couldn't bear to be alone with his thoughts. It was too painful. <clears throat> it's been a hard couple of weeks for Alvin. He and Herb Clutter were good friends from church. Oh, come on, Alvin. These are good people. Prior to that scene, you know, like they arrived at the house and she was cooking something, but now they're at the dinner table over the clip we just played you. And she also lets him know that Breakfast at Tiffany's was banned in like the library there. <laughs> um, and then I just love, you know, there's it's just so of that time, like the dinner and the drinks are having the martinis beforehand. And again, that I said it earlier, but the Humphrey Bogart and the John Houston stories. And then I love, there's just some really great, strong female characters in this movie. And again, so like Amy uh, Ryan plays one of them. And I love that she's the one that like convinces Alvin to, uh, which also I kind of, I, I, I kind of laugh like later on in the film when he's, because there's an Alvin Jr. He's like, Alvin! Alvin! So it's a David Seville reference right yeah. there. <laughs> no, you see the way that Truman insinuates himself into these communities and these families through the women, predominantly. You know, he eventually does have a scene on his own with Alvin Dewey when he's trying to get access to his records later on. But mm -hmm. in general, you know, his getting into the sheriff's home where the, or at least his offices where the um, where Perry is being kept. Yeah, and, and yeah, the sheriff's wife, Dorothy, and he brings... Right, right. Yeah. Breakfast, sorry. breakfast, the news, and a copy of his um, of his book. Yeah, uh, which signed. he gave a beautiful... Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. The 
Princess of the Plains. Right. It's just a yeah. very, yeah. very, <laughs> very you know, Queen of the County or I something like this. Yeah. yeah. I love, uh, again, so Truman Capote is just, in general, as a writer, very interested in gender, yeah. per se. And you could tell he's, like, very interested in Alvin's masculinity, mm-hmm. you know? The fact that he has to perceive himself, at, or not perceive himself, like, portray himself as, like, very masculine, you know. I think he even mentions it. Well, that's the last scene that they share, that they speak, that they share together. Is they're in a diner, and he's like, "I came up with a title for my book, and you love it. It's just so masculine, in cold blood." Oh yeah. yeah. And I mean, then they have this. They're in the warehouse at the end where they, uh, you know, hang Perry, but they don't share. But that's the last scene, and. Uh, but Alvin says to him in the diner, he's like, if these guys, because that's a whole thing, Capote, we've even like really spoken about this crazy relationship he builds with Perry. But he gets these guys, you know, a lawyer. Yeah, but we to... haven't spoken about it because it's not a relationship that happens necessarily early on. But the, I would say the second half of the movie is about that relationship. Yeah, at, le- at least uh, not during, if you broke it up into like three acts. It's definitely not act one, but no. if anything, it's more, yeah, the second half of the movie is... Very much a relation. He, he literally he feeds him as a baby because Perry goes on to like a little hunger strike while he's on death row, and trying to prove the insanity defense. Yeah, and so he and that and that was something that's not that was not in the book and that's not one hundred percent like how oh, interesting if that happened. Interesting. Just, so that that is artistic liberty that you oh. just see that he yeah huh. kind of. See, that to me is interesting because we look at, I know we haven't seen it and we're all speculating, but we talk about the sex scene in Infamous and how both directors tried to take a little bit of a liberty in order to increase the sense of intimacy between these two people. That one strikes me as more natural and believable. Yeah, well, it is 100% true that he was not eating. Um, Uh, Right, we just don't know that. Truman fed him as a baby. Although it does lead to the amazing moment later in the film when Capote is eating the baby food and pouring whiskey into it. (laughs) Which we wouldn't have without that artistic liberty. So fair. I'll I'll accept it. I mean, that's a pretty amazing... uh, That really says it all, I think, as far as his (laughs) mental and emotional state. Um, Yeah, I mean, this film definitely has a lot to say. Like, I think it's, I mean, it's commenting on a lot. And one of the most simple things is just, actually, it's the scene where he goes to buy the baby food and there's just this little boy there with his, you know, cowboy six shooter and he just has this little grin. And it's just, it's showing, yeah, just odd look. And it's just this moment, I think, you know, as the, as I think that obviously they got from Capote's writing and then just as a filmmaker, Bennett Miller, and writer Dan Futterman, like they want to show this moment of that there's just maybe from an early age, and that's why I said earlier, and you guys gave me like a little bit of look, but this nature versus nurture that I think is like kind of a big theme because he also says later on in the movie, I feel like you know we came from the same house and he walked out the back door and I walked out the front, right? Yeah. Um, and that, and so I think again, just showing that little kid with the six, it's just like anything could, you know, that you know when people are just like, oh, video games are so fine. It's like, well, so plenty of kids play video games, but they, and are you know, fine. Yeah, and are fine. But so right. it's just that, and so that, and again, that film, it just the film just, you know, brings I think a lot of good questions and makes and so it yeah. helps people think about. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think this film has, um, a lot to say, or at least brings up. 
maybe it doesn't actually maybe that's one of the things I like about it is that it doesn't stand on a soapbox necessarily and and declaim what everyone should no, believe it it, but no. it brings up a lot about the death penalty and about yeah. criminals and oh. about alternative lifestyles I think you know that to some extent Truman both because of his otherness as a homosexual and as a somewhat um what's the word I'm looking for eccentric yeah. homosexual and his otherness because of his upbringing how he relates to this very violent and dark form of otherness in these two men um but also something else that I thought was another lens you could look at it through which this is not biblical but we talked about all stories essentially being old stories at heart yeah. um I don't know how familiar Even you both ju- are with the legend of Faust yeah, right. oh, no, so, no, a little bit, a little bit. Well, so this, I mean, you you probably have the general Faustian structure. Faustian. Exactly, this idea word, of the Faustian right. bargain, right? Yes. So Faust was, it's actually based on a real person that people had theories about, um, and those became this legend. But um, Faust is a scholar and scientist who's deeply unhappy and frustrated and makes a deal with the devil, and in exchange for his soul will be granted powers and knowledge. And... I think you see it, but at what cost? Wait, what was his name? Bill Belichick? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I mean, I hope you cut that, because I can't imagine a less relatable thing um, (laughs) to people that you're trying to draw in. But, um, but, uh, but you see, you see something of that story in the film as well, that he finally gets his story. Capote gets his story by hook or by crook. He finds a way to finally get it. And only at the end, realizes that he has to some extent sold out his own soul to get it. Well, yeah, that was a huge thing yeah. that I, I you like know, you're, you're spot on because what they talk a lot about in the commentary and then also in one of the makings of their, their they had the author of the book Capote speaking and he said he got to meet him and just like from interviewing other people that the real big thing we see that he's like a haunted person you know, Capote that is because at the same time he's almost he was like wanting them to die because he needed to finish his book like that was like the necessary for those men at the same time that he was helping them as far as like a lawyer and like just like getting a proper proper you know judicial you know mm-hmm. you know right system going yes for them but at the same time that he's doing all that, he's like he was kind of like wanting and waiting for them. Right. He extended their life only for the book. Yeah. And then yeah. once he had what he needed, yeah. he now wanted them to die. And I think that, to me, relates also to the subject of the death penalty in general. That there is a difference between the intellectual problem of these brothers when I am at a remove, when I am in Spain, when I am in New York, when I am able to keep them at arm's length that I just want them to die for my own convenience and at the end of the movie at the end of this experience he cannot tries with everything he can to not have to face Mm. the actual reality of what that means yeah he's not picking up the phone calls even right and And we all are angry and we all know that what these men did is terribly wrong and we all feel very self-righteous in that anger but when we are actually having to take responsibility for the punishment and we have to say, yes, I think they deserve to die and I'm going to stand there and watch them do it, that that is a very, very different price to pay. Yeah. And I think there's, a, there's something there in terms of what, what we have to confront. 
and what we're willing to say at a distance. I mean, especially now, you know, it's ever more relevant because the internet gives us the ability to have more and more publicly heard opinions about things that we are farther and farther away from. Oh, God. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Yeah, I just... For better or worse. I think that that's a way that you could look at this is is in our current cultural moment. I mean, I, I think... I don't want to stray too far, and I'm, I'm getting going, but I, I think a lot of what is going on right now with the exposure of corruption and um, sexual assault and just the seamy underbelly of all of our public world is good to an extent. Is is It's good that these things are exposed, and it's good that we can wrestle with them, but it also does lead to an awful lot of trial by unqualified public, by people at a distance. Well, yeah. I have only the, the facts mob. from from the newspaper, but this person deserves to burn in hell. You know, yeah, it's a and just I mean, time. people. I mean, people. Yeah, naturally, you're just jumping to conclusion, or I. I don't know. It's just. I, yeah, I don't. I yeah. don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> get caught up in. I don't want to get caught up in any of that because I. I want to be very clear that. You know, if you look at any specific story that's out there right now, I agree that the actions are wrong. I mean, Louis C.K. and and Harvey Weinstein and all of this, that these men have done something wrong, period. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about, in general, that there's something there about having to really deal with things that are up close and personally and how much easier it is to deal with them at a distance and how much Capote throughout the film tries to keep distant and ultimately can't absolutely you know absolutely he he's faced with that death you know and it's not it's not a uh nice death and it's not helped by the fact of how much and we just you know we have to touch on this relationship a little bit more just how much that perry clearly like i don't know do you think he's sincere perry's relationship with him I guess that's my question. Really. It's hard to tell. But is he sincere? But also at the same time, is Perry sincere? Because no, no, I'm asking good. Perry. Do you think Perry is sincere? Oh, okay. Mm, well, I think he's just like create like so. I mean, it's it's made clear that he also he at least thinks of himself. I mean, he's creative. He has his drawings, and he and he writes it a little bit too. And Truman is really like drawn to this. Uh, but he has, I mean, one of the, he loves when reading this book that he has like an acceptance speech of sorts, you know, Perry already written yeah. for thinking if he ever made something someday. And he, he actually starts saying a little bit of it when he's about to be hung. Yeah. And he can't continue. And yeah. Can't and he's just like, it. oh my, you know, and he's, you know, he just says something like, like the speech was just like, oh, I had something I wanted to say, but I can't remember <sighs> yeah. it. Because at first he asks, is there anyone from the family here? So the point uh, being, he's just a man that had, and then like, had something he just always thought he could maybe possibly amount to, but at the same time then he saw this figure of Truman, you know, Capote, and he was extending him this, you know, olive branch of sorts, or just assistance. And I think he definitely got like his hopes up at some points. But at the but same time, th- they're yeah. both definitely using one another. Do you think that, we'll go back to Infamous again, but do you think there was any kind of relationship element there? Do you think there, relationship, I mean, like, not necessarily sexual, maybe romantic, I, or? I think so in the sense of, like, I believe him at the end where he says, you know, like he says, I think he says it to Harper Lee, he's like, you know, like, I'm actually, I'm going to, like, I'm going to miss him. 
Yeah, but you can miss someone and not be romantically interested. Oh, in so this. I'm not. No, oh, you're. But specifically I said romantic, romantic, like yeah. Like, oh, I, th- I th- okay. Like as infamous, like clearly, if they sleep with each there's, other, there's there's something incredibly childlike about Perry, and so vulnerable, and mm. so sweet, and so in completely out of step. Or maybe that's the point, is that it's perfectly in step with well, the horrible thing that he's done. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, the the moment, the two moments that stick out to me in the execution are not only the moment you just said where he forgets what he's going to say, which is this terrible, embarrassing tragedy at the last moment of your life to have had something prepared and be unable to recall it at the critical moment. But also his thanking Alvin Dewey for coming. His yeah. greeting Alvin yeah. Dewey, just to see a familiar face. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. Is at his last moment. Yeah. It, that comfort. It, I. Yeah. It's powerful. That's it, all, I guess. Well, I think yeah, it was a. It I think a big moment for Capote in his relationship with, um, with Perry was also when he finally goes and speaks to Perry's sister, and she says like, "You can't tr- Like he, like you know, she doesn't even want to keep the photos anymore. Yeah. She's just like, "Oh, he'll seem all so sweet." Yeah, and but then, just and then we see through the flashback when finally Perry tells Truman of the crimes, and because it's whole, this whole back and forth that you're like, "Oh, was it more Dick yeah. or was it more Perry?" Uh, definitely the first time I saw this film, I'm like, "Oh, it was definitely more Dick." Like yeah, that's how so they try to clearly, yeah. yeah. So clearly, the way that he's portrayed the whole movie, the way that he's shoved off to the side, yeah. We're going to find out that Perry was just unfortunately along for the ride, mm-hmm. and it's, not at all. No, it's just like <laughs> completely you, the opposite. Yeah, it just like and then. I mean, in, well, if you look at the case facts, Perry was more the accomplice at the beginning. Yeah, it was Dick who. Well, Dick wanted. It sounded like he wanted to like take advantage of the women while when they realized there wasn't any money there. I mean, yeah. Well, in that case, yes. But I'm saying Dick, Dick's cellmate in prison, worked on that farm. It was like a large industrial farm, and he said there was a huge safe in the house where they kept all the cash, which turned out again not to be true. And so Dick like concocted the whole plan. He got Perry in on it. But once they were there, clearly again, Perry is the. They're both the murderers because of you know accomplice and there. But mm-hmm. Perry is the one who does the deed yeah. to everyone. And Dick's. I mean, again, the way we portray in the movie is like Dick's face is just like yeah, like oh shit, and he's oh he's going to the next room. Like, but he oh, never he, he never sells Perry out. You know, no. so he knows his like role in it. But I mean, Dick feels more like those like old timey criminals, which know? I love. Yeah, the... and I got away with it for a while. You know, like that kind I, of thing. I love the photography scene. That's just me like, too. Oh yeah, yeah. Those were you know obviously like they shot them to be very accurate repl- replicant like photos. Something that we never see, which is really interesting to me. We see it a little bit with Chris Cooper with Alvin Dewey's character later. But we don't see any of the authorities' reaction to that scene, which only alone the experience of having a high-end fashion photographer come in and joke with the prisoners, and you're taking your photo with them. I just can't imagine what that community must have thought of this self-aggrandizing man who has come in and four people, friends and pillars in the community, have been brutally murdered for no reason, no... No personal reason. Yeah. No, nothing they did, man, for sure. I, I, it's interesting that that's left out. But do we want to... I, I know... Wait, yeah. Okay. Just really quickly, is there anything 
This is not on cast. Is I there know. any other I can tell. points you want to bring up, or particular things so we could steer it that way? Um, I think I've said most of it. Faustian th- bargain, and yeah, I've, I've been breaking in sort of. I know scattershot. Well, I think it's good just because, again, since we're like talking about the crime right now, that it is a good opportunity just to get when he is reading the stuff from that. Book. Yeah, yeah, no. So I'm, I wanted to kick to that, but I wanted yeah. to just okay, after yeah. that roll to the roll to the end. Yeah, right. But if there yeah, was anything, been at it a while, I know. Yeah, if there's yeah. anything else that you wanted to day. just, <laughs> just if you, is there anything else you want to add necessarily? I don't, like, I don't think. I mean, it's so. okay. You don't have to. I'm no, I know. I and if it comes to me, I'm probably just gonna say it, and I apologize. Fine. No, which is fine. I mean, you're the one who is the, the being the on time. the spot I can't I yeah, can't yeah, recall. Gotcha, gotcha, I gotcha. can't recall. So you want to throw like you were gonna throw to the book scene or Yeah. Well I think I mean since we're talking about you know the crime, I think it's a good point to go to the scene where Truman's reading. So it's the book's not finished, right? But right. he's reading some some excerpts. It's like a yeah. Carnegie Hall or something, you yeah. know. It's yeah, a, it's which, by the way, goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I'm sure this still happens, but it not it that struck level. me that he is reading in this theater in this grand way, and which everyone's it, dressed. It's not even so that did book. that did happen. Oh, and he yes. actually prior to that read it a few times at some smaller theaters and those were recorded at least the audio but he was so nervous for this one no audio was recorded so wow. they they based off Philip Zimmerhoff and listened and based it off of like prior readings that that's it. yeah but again amazing that like to tease a book you don't it's almost like a trailer right right like, exactly read a couple but I just chapters don't, of theaters. I don't feel that kind of no we're not in, we're not in that no. mode right now with the no. exception as we said earlier of like a Harry Potter or you know, yeah, J.K. Rowling could do that. She could sell it. Not the same. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not a nonfiction book about <laughs> about Holcomb, no. Kansas. You know, like it, it doesn't appeal to the same people, and it no, it's it's so weird. What a different world. Yeah, it's just fascinating to look at, um, to see how seriously it was so taken. Let, but anyway, yeah, so let, we're let's play scene. him. Yeah. Let's play him reading it because I just like his delivery here. And... Good evening, New Yorkers, and thank you for coming to the first public reading the first offering of any kind of Truman Capote's new work, In Cold Blood. Hello, my name is Truman Capote. For this, for this evening's program, I'm going to read uh, some passages from the first three parts of my new book. The village of Holcomb stands on the high wheat plains of western Kansas, a lonesome area that other Kansans call out there. Until one morning in mid-November 1959, few Americans, in fact few Kansans, had ever heard of Holcomb. Like the waters of the Arkansas River, like the motorists on the highway, exceptional happenings never stopped there. So it's interesting, just reminding myself, hearing this clip, that this is one of the only times we get to actually hear or experience some of Truman Capote's actual writing in the movie. Yes, which also, like, I, during that moment, or maybe it was even when I was watching again with the commentary, like, I just, it dawned to me that, uh, whether this is considered a biopic or not, but 
in all those other movies, let's say, let's go with the one from that year of Walk the Line, the whole time you're seeing the artist of Johnny Cash and Joaquin Phoenix portraying him playing the music that he's known for, that we all know. So this is just, I found it interesting that this, you know, like, I mean, he's known, besides obviously being this personality, he's known for his writing, but, like, this is, like you said, one of the few moments that we actually get to, we see that whole time he's a very smart guy, and then the way he writes but then that we actually get to hear his words. So that's... Yeah, I mean, like, I'm hooked. I've never read the book, but it seems like a book I would like to read. Oh, I plan on reading it now. Like, it's certainly, like, you know, you know why it's he's a good author. I love the way that Filsner Hoffman and or Capote says, balloon, <laughs> twice the size of a regular balloon. And we should say that, like, the coda at the end, or whatever you want to call it, says that, like, that was the last book he ever finished. Yeah, which is kind of sad because he lived really. Yeah, and then longer than that. Yeah, and quite then, a yeah, long time. And yeah, he died in 1984. Yes, yeah, so due to complications, complications of alcoholism. No yeah. surprise there. Um, and and the final the epigraph of his uh, last and unfinished work read, "More tears are shed over answered prayers than unanswered ones." So it's just like point point being, I mean, like he's he is just, he's a haunted individual that this. It's the most successful, like the you know, like the pinnacle of Capote's career. Also, then was then his downfall, like yeah, personally. Right. Per, I mean, per, yeah, it, it should yeah. be noted that he he did he was still in Hollywood writing screenplays after that. Yes, or yeah. trying. He famously wrote uh, the original screenplay to the Robert Redford Great Gatsby, mm. which was shelved because I think he made Nick Calloway gay. Like it was just oh. it was too controversial for the theater. Gotcha. He wrote some other screenplays. But, I mean, just from someone who writes screenplays myself, it's... Someone correct me, please, but novels are much more difficult. Or well, there's a lot intensive. more writing, certainly. Yeah. They're thicker. For a guy who's doing the party scene like that, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just, just you have to explain everything as opposed to leaving something up It takes more discipline. Right. Just the way... I mean, what is that? Is that called Ill- alliteration? What, what's the... When you're... What, no, what's the word I'm looking for? When alliteration? The repetition of the alli- initial consonants? I don't yeah. Know. Just yes. like alliteration? Oh, I, I suppose if that's your style. No, I Alliteration know, d- would be, I guess, the lack of Yeah, exactly. That's why I knew that was... <laughs> oh. Yeah, so his... Yeah, so his alliteration. Uh, and not that even he has that, but it's just... And I was just saying that because, obviously... I mean, we were talking about with Empire Falls that clearly I'm like a, t- you know, a yeah. visual TV, you know, film film guy and stuff like that. And you uh, mentioned that's Empire Falls based on a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Truman Capote was super, super, super disappointed that he didn't win the Pulitzer for In Cold Blood. Mm. He was like really upset. Like that devastated him. Not sure who won that year. I don't know books enough. It makes me sound stupid, but still. But like um, that was something that really devastated him until his dying day he felt like he put everything and you could tell he put everything into it but for a guy who's so into the party scene and so into like the little this and that and you could tell he's like well, after reading after that scene actually like, that we just played and he's like oh, Tennessee liked it right like Tennessee Williams yeah. he's like commenting on who liked it and who didn't who's commented and who's not and and well, back to that Harper Lee scene with the movie premiere that's what makes it so hurtful because when he read something he's Bathing in all the positive reviews, yeah. Confused why other, uh, why like one or two people haven't said anything, but when it's for her thing, he's like, eh. You but know. then that after again after uh, scene we played and they're, uh, and he's schmoozing and talking with people. Then one guy does come up and gives them the compliment of like those the characters you created are just 
so haunting. And he's just like, thanks, Dad. You did. <laughs> well, that's not quite, I don't know, that's not totally fair. He, he says thank you, I mean, what else can you say? Yeah. And yeah. then I think that that dad joke is, is more about the joke that we see at the beginning, which is this, he's playing it off as like, I paid this guy to praise me. You know, the same way as the baggage yeah, handler. Yeah, yeah, he's exactly. like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you no, see what I mean? Yeah. Like my dad came in and gave me some praise in front of everybody. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, that it, part it shows I saw to his charming. lightness and his comedy there. Right. Even, but he loves to entertain. You know, he yes. loves to be the center of attention. Clearly. So I mean, we already kind of went over this final scene, which is really the execution and then the whole after. Yeah, I mean, thing. It's, it's very haunting. Just like hearing the noise, the drop of you know, that's the whole thing when it comes to. The violence. I mean, that's the first, like, the act of violence when it happens. We see. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We, through the flashbacks, we saw it. First, you know, we see, we see like, the one body in the beginning, and then we see the pictures of the crime scene, and then we have a flashback to Perry killing the four members of the family, and then we have, then obviously, the hanging of Perry, which is. It's a good. It's to be said that Capote went to say goodbye to Perry and Dick, and had like five minutes with him or whatever and it's just in tears and then Perry asks if he could if he was gonna if he was gonna be there to watch and he said if you want me there I will be there and so I think he just felt guilty and that he owed it to him and that was his final you know really heartbreaking scenes Mm -hmm. now look he, he he won the Oscar for this obviously not everyone even till this day is like doing jumping jacks about his performance some people do did say it's a lot of mimicry rather than acting which is you know we're obviously fans here i, sure. I thought he did a great job yeah but i mean uh i don't know did you see any of that did you feel any time that it was more like a mockery i guess i don't know truman capote enough to say that right. yeah I, I would find i'm sort of glad i think i would find it distracting in much the same way as if i've read a novel and I see a movie adaptation afterwards, it's not always. I think, for example, a movie I really liked that I had already read the book was um, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in general, the movie's just going to be a stripped-down version of the novel, that it has to explain things in less time. You know, So the knowledge of the external greater work usually spoils it. I think if I knew Truman Capote really well, I would probably be more bothered by the artistic license in this film. Um, yeah. So I'm glad I didn't have that to distract that, me. Frankly. That's fair. The one thing that a lot of most people thought Phil was going off, and not to com- not to compare it, but it was a little bit of a competition. You know, this is a business and money. Right. But a, a lot of people, uh, most people thought Phil Zimmerhoffman did a better job than Toby Jones. Hmm. But everyone said Toby Jones did a good job too. Where their portrayals differed, or most people say their portrayals differed, was that Toby Jones is a lot more gender fluid slash gay. And like it's mm. it's weird to say, you know, but like a little more flamboyant. Fl- fl- I don't know flamboyant, but because I didn't see not, it. Not but gay, most of the reviews perhaps, I read stereotypically. So, yeah, I guess stereotypically gay. Because right. what else are you gonna write when you say gay? Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess he literally has sex with a man, so maybe that's, that's why. pretty gay. Would <laughs> be the gay. No thing one can do. deny that. Yeah, <laughs> but no, but um, pretty gay. Toby I mean, Toby Jones is apparently obviously the body type. That's right? what I was gonna say. I think it really comes down to. I mean, already, but you had people recognizing Philip Zimmerhoffen from, like, other movies. Like, Toby Jones isn't even close to being... No, uh, Toby Jones... Not that, I mean, I'm I, sure he's I a good actor. Him out of a crowd. I'm yeah. Sure, yeah, I'm sure he's a good actor, but they probably picked him because he looked like him. And yeah, no, the size he, of him. yeah, exactly. And, yeah. But they, they say, again, his portrayal touches more on... 
that, like some people say that Philip Seymour Hoffman, I don't know if I believe this, and I'm just quoting people, but they say he believed he was more like intergender than male, and that Toby Jones played with that more. Okay. Um, again, I don't know Philip Seymour Hoffman, so sorry. Well, obviously, but <laughs> I don't know Truman Capote. I didn't grow up watching him on these TV shows like other people did. Yeah. So to me, I don't. That doesn't bother me or anything. It's not like I don't think they hide from the gay thing in this, right? They don't like hide, like push it aside or something. No, they don't hide it, but that's not what he the has a pretty normal, accepted relationship, you know. Yeah, but that's not. I mean, that's one. Th- not. Well, that's why it's not. A, that's not why it's not a biopic. Yeah. So um, no, and just like obviously we've watched you know, every film up until this performance. And so just seeing what he's done in other performances, as far as he's a, he's an actor that uses his hands a lot to talk. So it's not like I felt like, Oh, these were like things that he felt like he had to come up with for this character. It was just, he's been learning and crafting this whole time and he's brought, you know, he's then he, he was someone that knew at least the more, you know, the talk show Capote and then did his research on, earlier life and just that that era of Capote and I mean this is what he came up with and clearly it garnered you know the love and admiration of his peers and uh... look I, I wasn't as happy for him then because I didn't know him as well yeah but like just going through we, we've gone through his journey film wise right mm-hmm. now like I see this and I'm so happy for him yeah like, so just... I mean he had before this it was the Golden Globe nomination for uh, Cold Mountain. Cold Mountain. Maybe and like then, an Independent Spirit Award here and there. Yeah, like yeah but that was like nomination. The, and then, but this is his first Oscar nomination and his only win. And then he was nominated not for lead actor but supporting actor three times after this and not, didn't win any of those. Didn't win, times. but again, he was certainly a name and certainly yeah, people respected him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just a guy you hired who would just you know was going to do a job in the inside. Like again, he became a household name. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, anything else you guys want to add for this particular film? Um, I would just mention that, hearkening back to what you were saying about Capote being upset that In Cold Blood never won the Pulitzer, I don't believe we mentioned that, of course, To Kill a Mockingbird did. The same year, though? 1961. Hmm. So oh, that, far the, before the publishing. But you of, know it weighed on yeah, him. Yeah, she didn't... Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You is know that it weighed I, on him. Right. I think... <laughs> <laughs> There's an indication there, you know, and that's also, by the way, goes to your point as well that I understand that they had a loyalty that goes back to their childhood, but the idea that Truman Capote, who went down without ever having won a Pulitzer, didn't tell anyone at any point oh, that oh. he wrote that book, <laughs> oh. which did bullshit. <laughs> no, that's I'm saying I, it right now. I hadn't heard that theory. But I, I'm on yeah. the same page as you. Well, that's a now you know, theory. and I have put it to bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Let no, it be on. known. Like, We're dispelling yeah. rumors this here. Is, yeah, this isn't the same as like people saying like Spielberg directed Poltergeist. It's like Spielberg has his uh, <laughs> awards for uh, Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. He doesn't need to, you know, so that's, but, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is completely different. Yeah, Capote doesn't seem like a generous man. No, you know, like in terms of that. Not to that, not to that level. Not, not, to that not level. specifically. I, you know, I can believe a certain amount about friendship because I think he probably had few very real and close friendships based on what we 
based admittedly on this Hollywood movie, which is not a Right, I'm a jackass, what do I know? But, <laughs> yeah, but the friendships he has in this film that were portrayed, the conversations that were going on were pretty right. much centered around him. But yeah, he found he a way to even to Harper to herself. Yeah, right. to Harper, to Jack. So, like, if you learned nothing else from today, yeah. <laughs> it is that Harper Lee definitely wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, and probably to go set a watchman should never have been published. <laughs> fair, fair. So I mean, that's that's Capote. We're yeah. you know so happy to discuss Capote. So happy for the Oscar. Speaking of Oscar level work, John, what are you up to lately? <laughs> <laughs> you should just end on that. Line. <laughs> 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 that wretch. <laughs> Deep pained laugh. Uh, no, I don't. I don't have a project in the works at present. I'm. I'm embarrassed to say. I. Uh, I'm taking some classes, and you know, happily. You were in a bunch of things though recently. Yeah, I was. I just closed a, a production of Macbeth that went very well, and um, very much looking forward to the next thing. We'll see what it is. Is there any place people can follow you or find you? Or? Um, you can always find me on my Facebook page. I don't update it very well, but I'm setting some goals to be better about that this year um and i'll definitely be putting it out on blast that i was on this podcast um thank you you know and i you can follow me on instagram at hardinaka h-a-r-d-i-n-a-k-a um you know i throw some interesting stuff around uh when i'm working especially on there and um yeah that's that's what i got right now awesome always great to have you on uh thank you for the insight i feel like again you always bring a certain level of acting class oh, you professionalism know. I try. to professionalism I try. To, it's a pleasure to be here to the podcast yeah. um, it's a great excuse to watch good movies that's I mean that's pretty much been our Boom, journey there you go. for the most part <laughs> that's that's, a, that's I would like to, if for some reason we had like a, a billboard that would be like a review on it <laughs> great excuse great listen to, to yeah listen to this movie. podcast it's a great excuse to watch great movies fair fair or just uh, watch the movies and not listen to us whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> regardless next week we have a pretty awesome episode as kyle said um this is the last of our act two yes our self-dubbed act yeah self-dubbed act two and we'll be kind of wrapping that up uh talking about it just talking about various things also talking about a little bit of his short work there's not too much in this no there wasn't as much period. as uh, act one and also act three will have you know we'll yeah so we did this between the two acts and it's pretty fun we thought about doing a live show but Honestly, the logistics, we're going to save that for the end. Yeah, the final, the hurrah, the... Uh... The, the final hurrah. This is going to be kind of like a little bit of a clip show, a little bit of a fun and games. We will be playing some games. I know you guys like when we do that. And uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for listening this week. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I'm so glad, John, you pointed out that this is on the anniversary of the murders. Yeah. Of In Cold Blood. Crazy. I mean, that's... Not that the murders were cool, but it's kind of yeah, cool so have for a us. Dr- have a drink for the clutters, the family. Yes, have a drink. We'll pour one out for the clutters. Um, yeah, so listen, like, subscribe, share. Follow John Harden. Follow his his, his fun adventures on Instagram and such. Please do. <laughs> could always use more followers. And, John, I don't think you've had the privilege of uh, saying this yet, but we <laughs> after Act 1, we the came privilege. up with a... Yeah, the privilege. It is a yes. privilege. Honor of uh, our... Uh, send off of the show which is to stay on cool so if, if you would remind the Hoff fans alright Hoffman's out there stay on cool stay on cool thanks
sex of things, sex of things, I believe in miracles. 